If it's, uh, I'm Justin, I work on staff with junior high. If it's your first time here, I'm happy you're here. Uh, we love having new people here and checking it out. Uh, we believe in teaching and having fun and doing stuff together in junior high world, and it's awesome. So I'm happy you're here. So we are in week three, wrapping up this sex series we've been in for a little while. And the last two weeks has been a ton of fun. And we've gotten to talk about some new things and learn about some new things in new ways. And this week is no different. We're wrapping it up. And this is, you're going to see, this is a lesson, a lesson about sex and actually a lot more of a lesson about Jesus. And you're going to hear about that soon. I'm looking forward to it. So here's the deal. When I was in junior high, I was about your age, uh, I got obsessed with a certain uh, cereal. Now, I'm a big cereal lover, uh, not as much now as I used to be, because now, you know, I'll just get up and I'll run and I'll just drink coffee and call that my breakfast because I'm extremely unhealthy. But back then, I would eat like a bowl of cereal and it was it. I used to eat Pops. Anyone eat Pops cereal? It's the yellow, little yellow balls of sugar that they, it's just great. And they sell it to children and it's whatever and moms are cool with it because it's breakfast. But it's like a really sugary, snacky type cereal. It's incredible. So I got so all about this cereal that I started stockpiling it at my house. I started telling my mom, mom, we got to get more of the cereal. We're going to run out. And I'm sneaking it in the basket and it, I'd even go to the store. I'd take all, because I was obsessed. And I would take the bottles or things that I'd collect to make money as a kid, and I'd go buy like another box of cereal. And I'd eat it for breakfast, and sometimes I'd just snack on it. Sometimes I'd eat it for dinner. Sometimes I'd get up in the middle of the night and have a bowl of cereal. Like I was a very weird kid, but I was obsessed with the cereal. This cereal was everything to me. I made my whole morning about getting my bowl of cereal. If I didn't get my bowl of cereal and I was still young enough where I could cry, uh, I, if I cried now, I would get nothing out of it. But I was young enough where if I cried, I actually got something out of it. So I would be like, I want my cereal. I'd start crying, and I'd get my cereal. And I was making my cereal to everything. It was my whole deal. Now, this is the thing. A day came where someone introduced me to a new cereal called Cookies and Crisp. Anyone ever have Cookies and Crisp? It's like little cookies, right? Well, my love affair had now changed. I am now in love with the Cookies and Crisp cereal. I've betrayed Pop cereal. Pops, I don't even know, I don't even know anything about Pops anymore. I don't want it in my house. I don't want to spend time with it. I want to dedicate my whole life to Cookies and Crisp cereal. Now, this is the thing. I had this crazy transition where I made one thing everything, and then my taste just totally changed. And it happens sometimes. You know, maybe you are like me, and there's like a thing in your life that you have stockpiled or made your kind of everything. You know, I had a friend who was really, and he's a boy, he was really into sports, so he got totally into just jerseys. That's all he would wear. Summer, he'd wear basketball jerseys, and in the winter, he'd wear hockey. He just wore jerseys all the time. That was his big thing. But one day, we were walking through the mall, and he realized that girls thought jerseys were actually goofy, and that button-downs were like the coolest thing ever. And where I lived in western New York, it was kind of like this preppy thing we were going through, which Sam knows all about dress and preppy. And he, he bought all these like button down shirts and some of them were pink and some of them were purple and it was kind of weird and I wasn't that close of friends with him after that. But he had to get rid of all of his jerseys and get all these new button down shirts because for him, he made his jersey wearing life everything and he put so much into it, but then he found something else that he wanted better. His taste changed and his desires changed and he decided to go in a different direction. You know, maybe you've heard of a relationship like where the person in the relationship gave so much of themselves in the relationship, so much of them that they're almost giving everything. But then one day things change and the phone stops ringing and text messages stop coming through, that Facebook messages stop coming. You know, you're not seeing them commenting on as many of your photos anymore on Instagram. And you realize, maybe, maybe I put so much into this relationship 
but maybe the other person isn't putting that much in either. Maybe I've given them everything, I've invested everything, I've made this my everything, but maybe it isn't everything. Maybe it's not what I thought it was. Maybe I found something else. Maybe they found something else. Maybe I'm not as high on the list as the pop cereal used to be to me. Maybe cookies and cream bumped you, or cookies and crisps bumped you off the list. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes we take relationships and sex and we make them everything. We think it's, and even in a married situation, we think if we get this right, that everything else will fall into place. If we, we just focus on one thing, we'll, we'll figure out what it is, and for married people or even you know, for, for young people, sometimes they look at the sex thing, and we talked last week about sex being powerful and how people use it to leverage one another sometimes, how it's not a good thing. And the week before, we talked about how sex is serious. Some people take it as casual, but it's not. It's a very serious thing to God. So people would take that and say, well, sex is something really important, right? So maybe we should just put all of our focus on that. We we should make that thing everything, and we should put up barriers around it, and we should protect it. So you know we're not going to have sex till we get married, and we put our protection around that. And then when we get married, you know, sex will be great, and everything about sex will be in marriage, and then everything will be perfect. And it, it, I've always been taught to save sex for marriage. So if I do, then everything will be perfect. Then, and you end up making sex everything when it's not, when there are actually more important things than sex to begin with. You know, there's this story in the Bible that we're going to look at in a second. And there's this guy who, who makes this relationship with this girl. He makes it everything. And there are actually a couple different characters in this who all have different parts. They all have skin in the game. And they're all making certain things of this relationship everything to them. Now, this is what God is saying. I'm going to ruin the end of the story. God is saying that I am everything. That I want to be everything to you. These people in this story, they're not getting that. We're going to unpack it together, and we're going to hopefully learn something cool about what Jesus is all about and what God is saying, and we're going to learn it together. So if you have your Bibles, open it up with me to Exodus chapter 29. It's on the screen. It's on page, starting with page 23, so we're right there in the Old Testament, right at the beginning of everything. And I want to give a little background for you. Uh, at the very beginning of this, this, this uh, uh, the God's people, the, this new civilization of Israel, uh, he selects Abraham to be the guy to kind of carry this into the future. He's, you know, God's chosen guy, and he's going to birth the nation of God's chosen people. So Abraham has a son named... Isaac, you're perfect. You're going to get a prize later. And Isaac had a son named Jacob. Good job, Colton. See, you can shout it out and, and you know, be right. That's good. So he had a son named Jacob. And now Jacob had this crazy thing going on because Jacob was the second born and he ended up conning his father into getting the blessing of their family. So this is kind of how it worked out. And you've heard me talk about this with Jesus before. You know, Jesus was the firstborn. See, because back then, the firstborn is the one who gets all of the father's stuff. All the inheritance, all the land, all the animals. So if you're firstborn, you get everything. That's just one of the perks of being firstborn. So and when we talk about that in reference to the book of Hebrews and Jesus, Jesus was the firstborn of all creation. He gets everything, everything is his stuff. So Jacob sees that he's not going to get all the father's stuff because he's the firstborn. So his big thing right now is how to con his father into getting him all of his stuff. When I was a young, little younger, I was in college, and I used to watch a show called Burn Notice. Anyone watch the show Burn Notice? 
Yeah, super good, right? All right, so I want to show Berno. It's all about a spy who would come up with different ideas to kind of con people or, you know, just, you know, all these crazy spy things. And on Hulu, they had all these clips with him sharing about how to pull off like different spy type techniques. And one of them was how to get a reservation at a, at a booked restaurant. So at a restaurant where everything is booked, how to get a reservation last minute without waiting in line. He gives this whole thing that you go in there with flowers and you say that you're delivering them for someone's table and you find out what tables there are. And then you call back later and you know cancel somebody's reservation and then talk your way into getting, it is this whole thing. And I tried all this and it was totally zany and it totally worked and it was really, really cool. So, like me and like the show Burn Notice, Jacob was a conning type person, okay? So he's totally conning his father to get this thing from him. Well, this is a pretty big deal. And when he finds out that Jacob did this, his father wasn't too happy about it. So he ended up leaving town and staying with his mother's brother, so his uncle, Laban, and stays with him for a while. He starts to work there on this farm, uh, work there uh, with the crops and the animals. He lives there. Uh, he, he knows most of the people that live there, so this isn't too difficult for him. And this was now his new life. Jacob living in this town, uh, doing animals, tending the flocks with his uncle, This was his life. Well, this is what it says in verse 14. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now, I really wish someone would come ask me what my wages should be because I would want a rocket ship and I would want a big statue that looks like me built that I can have like out front of the studio, like a statue of me and Jared, maybe Diane will be there too, and there's all these statues, you're welcome, Diane, all these statues of us, uh, and then we'll have this other statue that looks like a dog, but it would have Max's face on it, and it would be like the body of a dog, but the face of Max, and I have a leash on it, and it would be awesome. I know that would be awesome. Oh, man, that'd be so groovy. So he's asking him, Jacob, what do you want your wages to be? What can we pay you to make it worth you staying here and working? So this is what he says in the next verse, verse 16. Now Laban had two daughters. The, names, uh, the name of the older was Leah. Write that down because that's important. The older one was named Leah. And the name of the younger was Rachel. Okay? Keep this in mind. This is going to totally play into the story. The older one was Leah. The younger one was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes. But Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. So basically saying, uh, Jacob judged these these young girls and said, you know, one's better looking than the other. Uh, Rachel's the better looking one. Leah, she's older, but she's not as attractive. That's what he's basically saying. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Now, this is the deal. Seven years of work, that that wasn't totally unrealistic. Because what was a big custom back then was when you wanted to get married to someone, you'd actually pay like a bride wage. Uh, you'd pay the father in order to get the permission to marry uh, his daughter. So you would you know, give a little endowment of animals or you'd give a big sum of cash. Uh, and it, it's funny that it works that way because I, can't know, I don't know of a single girl. I'm so happy that Brittany didn't have to pay money to me because I literally, I'm not worth it at all. You would, you would, have, you would have paid very little to get me. Me, on the other hand, it cost me a ton. Uh, it was like an arm and a leg, but it was totally worth it, babe. So, I know, great, right? Right, Max? You like that, right? Don't you? Max is like, oh, yeah. You're a lunatic. So, 
He doesn't have any money. He left home. He did not get the inheritance yet. He doesn't have any of the father's stuff, so he's poor. He has nothing. So he says, instead of giving you money or animals or land, I'm going to give you seven years of my time to marry your daughter. Pretty, pretty fairly reasonable. Fairly reasonable. Seven years is a long time, but if he loves her, you know, maybe it's worth it. So this is what it says in the next verse, verse 19. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. This is very sweet, okay? So this is it. before you say, oh, let me tell you what's really happening here, okay? Laban, the father, is saying, hey, she's got to marry someone, right? Might as well be you. And if I get free labor out of it, well, that's a really good deal for me. So just, just yeah, just go ahead, stay here, keep working. She's got to marry someone, you know, and, you know, this is the best offer I've gotten so far because back then it wasn't about the, the women who were in love with the man. It was more of like a, of a business transaction than anything. So that's pretty rough. I mean, I couldn't imagine girls, you being thought of as like, hey, this is a really good idea. I'm just going to be sold to some guy and the highest bidder wins. But like that was the culture back then. That's how it worked. So the father is saying, hey, this is the best deal I've gotten in a while for this girl. I, go for it. Let's do it. You stay here. Work for me. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. So this is now after seven years of working. That has passed. He's been tending flock and, and shoveling manure and just building fences or whatever they do back then. Give me my wife. My time is complete, and I want to make love to her. So he is bold. Imagine me going to your father. Now, this is so cool because this is the image of the week this week. Flip over your card. You'll see a picture of me and my father-in-law. Now, if you see by that picture, my father-in-law is a pretty darn big guy. I mean, he is, he's probably one of the biggest people I've ever consistently been around. Like, I see football players or basketball players now and then are just tall people. But, like, I see him regularly, and he is a giant. And that's a funny picture, and I thought I'd share that with you. And I want everyone to have one of my wedding photos. We just got those back this week, so enjoy that. Put it on your mirror and just be like, Justin and Brittany. Imagine if I went to him, just look at the size of him, and been like, hey, Mel. That's his name, Mel. It's a scary name. Hey, Mel. It's time for me to marry your daughter. I want to sleep with her. Where is she? Imagine if I would have said that to, her, to him, how that would have gone over. That probably wouldn't have gone over too well. I couldn't imagine saying that to someone. But Jacob did. Because he, he, for him, sex was everything. He wanted to get with her. He wanted to take her away. He wanted to be in bed with her. For him, that was everything. He worked seven years for that. They didn't sleep together before being married, which is so great. They waited until they were married. But for him, sex was everything. Everything that he wanted was tied up in this experience with her. Every reason that he was working for those seven years was because he loved her and wanted to be in bed with her. This was his big thing. And it wasn't, hey, give me my wife. My time is complete. I want to go on a honeymoon and I want to take care of her and rub the balls or her feet after a long day of work. I want to make her coffee in the morning, and you know, I, 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 want, to, I want to be the one to tell her if her breast smells bad. I want to you know, breathe on me, baby. Let me know. No, no, no. I want to go to bed with her. I want to sleep with her. That was the most important thing. Listen. Listen. Write this down. For Jacob, sex was everything. For Jacob, sex was everything. So this is what we see in verse 22. So keep in mind, now we have character number one in the story. For Jacob, sex was everything. Here we go. So Laban brought together all the people in the place and gave a big feast. It's like their custom, their deal, like a big party, just like we have a big wedding party. They, have, they call them feasts, and it's to celebrate something. But uh, when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. 
Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zepha to his daughter as her attendant. Because back then, daughters, when they get married, they get like assistance, like slave assistance. That's basically what it is, a slave. So here, this. You may think to yourself, wait, hold on a second. Verse 23, that must be a typo, right? Because he was meant to marry Rachel, correct? I mean, he worked for seven years to marry Rachel. He was in love with Rachel, the younger daughter, right? The beautiful one that he was in love with that he wanted to go to bed with. That has to be a typo, right? And this is what it says in verse 25. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? So this guy, Jacob, who is a deceiver, deceived his own father, has now been deceived by Laban. And he is realizing now that he worked seven years, not for Rachel, but he's now married to Leah. They've spent the first night together. And you might think, how is that possible? This is totally zany, but this is totally true. Back then, weddings were not like what they are today. We get the idea of the veil. Ever see a wedding where they have a veil on over their face? Okay, so we didn't do that at our wedding, and I don't think Diane did it at hers. Diane, did you do the veil thing at your wedding? Uh, Cheryl, are you going to do the veil thing at your wedding where they pull up the veil and your face is there? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Hey, make sure you're here next week. We're going to do Rock the Patio. The theme is Cheryl's wedding. It's going to be hilarious. So there you go. Boys, dress nice. Dress nice. Okay. How's that different from any other day? So here's the thing, back then, and we get this idea, this wedding idea of the veil from these ancient uh, Bible times, like this ancient cultural thing. Because back then, and where it is now today, you have a veil, and it's, you know, you lift it up, and you see the face, and you kiss them. It's actually not like that back then. Back then, they would stay almost fully clothed through the entire marriage process. They would go to bed, and the lights would be dimmed, and they'd enter into this, uh, the, the bed chamber where they would have their first night together. And the lights are dimmed, and, and you might think, that's totally zany that he didn't see her face. Well, you know, he he trusted that she was there. He didn't see her up until walking into this dark marriage bedroom throne thing that they put together, and it's right there on campus. So imagine, you know, they leave, and they don't go to a hotel or get on a plane to start their honeymoon. Their honeymoon starts right there at this wedding feast. Like, probably like 50 yards away, they build this marital uh, tent, and it's dark, and there's maybe some incense burning. And this is their first night together as married people. And he wakes up in the morning and realizes the woman that he loves, the woman that he's been working seven years for is not there with him. It's actually the older sister, Leah. This is what he says in verse 26. Laban replied to what Jacob said, saying, It's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week and you will give And we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. Here we go. Write this down. For Laban, free labor was everything. See, Laban wasn't concerned with his daughters. He wasn't concerned with these love marriage relationships. He wasn't concerned what was best for them. He was concerned what was best for him. That's why he deceived Jacob. That's why Jacob worked another seven years. For him, free labor was everything. He didn't care about this other stuff. Verse 28 says this. And Jacob did so. You might, I don't know if I'd be able to serve another seven years, but he, he could do it. He was on, so this 14-year investment he's making. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. 
Laban gave his servant Blila to, I don't know where they come up with these names. <laughs> imagine, imagine being a little kid and being like, hey, your name's, your name's Blila. <laughs> Go to school, make friends. Hey, Max, I'm going to shave your head later. Blila, that is such a, that's such a sad name. To his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah, and he worked for Laban for seven years. Here's the next verse. This is what it says. Verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. Okay, so this is the thing. Back then, it was a really big deal to have sons. You know, it was, uh, it was a statement to the community uh, and to the village or the town that you were in and to your family saying that our family's going to keep going. Uh, I have sons that can carry on my name. Uh, you know, I am a man enough to produce these sons with my wife. Uh, so there's a lot of honor. There's a lot of respect. There's a lot of attention that goes into having a son, uh, especially a, a first son. Um, that's a really big deal. You know, back then, uh, in order to kind of get that inheritance, it wasn't the daughter that got the inheritance, it was the son. So if you had four daughters, but then one son, that first son, he would get all the father's stuff. He was the firstborn. And it would be his discretion how to kind of passion everything out, uh, fraction everything out to his sisters. And maybe he would or maybe he wouldn't, but as a son, that would be his choice. See, Jacob was the second son, but he tricked his father to get all the father's stuff, which he hasn't gotten yet. See, so having a son's a very big deal. And back then, it, there was, it was kind of like this, this desire to have kids because Jacob, he, at this point, he was getting older. He was, about, he was about 75 years old at this point. He's, he's old. He's not a young guy. So he's getting older. He wants these sons. People lived a lot longer in these Bible times, especially at the very beginning of Genesis. So he wants sons. This is what it says in, verse, in the end of the verse. But Rachel remained childless. So he allowed Leah to conceive and Rachel remained childless. In verse 32, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son and named him Reuben. For she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Okay? To Leah, her husband's love was everything. That was everything to her. So she had son number one, hoping to get Jacob's love. All right, here we go, number two. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too, so she named him Simon. All right. Son number two. Simeon. Simeon? I say Simon. Potato, potato. Hoping for the father's love, or hoping for Jacob's love. Here we go, next verse. Verse 34. Again, she conceived and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now, at last, my husband will become attached to me because I have bore three, him three sons. So he named Levi. He was named Levi. Okay, here's the thing. Have you ever done something for someone hoping that you'd get love or attention in return? Have you ever made someone so much of who you are 
that you were willing to edit who you were or do different things or maybe portray yourself a different way or act or dress a different way in order to get that person's attention? Have you ever made someone or something so much of everything to you that you were willing to be less you and more like they wanted in order to get their attention? You know, when I was, uh, when I was in junior high, first of all, I used to have a ton of hair. A lot of you guys don't believe that, but it's 100% true, okay? No. I know. I'm not lying. I will show you pictures sometime. I had probably just as much of hair as you did. Seriously, I had a ton of hair. I lost it all. Thank you so much. You're weird. I'm hopefully not your everything. So, when I was in junior high, there was this girl who I liked in my school, and she sat next to me. Do you, are you okay right now? Are you, like, calm? Gosh, you're a lunatic. I know. So this, so this girl who sat next to me, she had these pictures of like this celebrity boy, like in magazine thing. And I think they still have those magazines, like Bieber and all these other guys on it. I know, weird, right? Well, they had this, she had this magazine of all these like young celebrity boys that she just thought were so cute. And there was this one in particular, I can't even remember his name, but I remember his hairstyle. And I remember thinking that hairstyle was stupid. But luckily, I liked this girl enough that I was willing to get my hair cut like this celebrity guy, hoping that I would get this girl's attention. Well, not only did I get made fun of for the stupid hairstyle, I didn't get the girl's attention. I know. I know. You thought the story was going to end totally different, right? I know. I know. It's kind of depressing. I know. Thank you. So this is the thing. I decided to give of who I was. I decided to edit this guy in order to make myself more desirable for someone else. I was willing to be less me and more for them because instead of being myself, instead of making God everything, I made this person everything. I made what they wanted everything, what they wanted, what they saw, what they thought they needed. I started to let that change who I was in order to get the love or affection or attention that I thought I wanted. Now, maybe you are like that. Maybe you know someone like that. Maybe you've heard scattered stories in your, you know, in your ways at school or whatever of people who have done something like that. But that was me. That was totally this guy. See, verse 35, she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah and then stopped having children. This is what happened. She gave birth to three sons. I really want you to hear this because for her, Jacob's love was everything. She gave birth to three sons hoping that one of these sons will give me the love from Jacob that I've been waiting for. One of these sons will help me get the love that I've been dying for. I've made Jacob everything Leah's thinking I've made him everything, and yeah, he got conned into marrying me, but, but I love him, and I want to be with him. I just want him to love me. I want him to accept me the way that I am. So what can I do? You know, in this married situation, she thought, man, I'll just have kids, and you know, kids, that'll solve the problem. Uh, it, here's the thing. When you make things everything, things that are not God, you end up being left unfulfilled. When you make things everything that are not God, you find yourself being left unfulfilled. Leah was totally unfulfilled. She just kept wanting this love from Jacob that she wasn't getting, and it wasn't changing. 
only until the fourth son did she realize, I'm going to do this to praise the Lord because this is not about Jacob anymore. Now it's about me and, and my love for God. Here's the thing. We've been talking about sex, so let me frame this all back up for you. Week one, sex is serious. People say it's casual, but it's not. Students, trust me, it's not. They joke around, they make jokes, they send pictures, they, they pressure and they, and they prod and they, they, sex is not casual, it's serious. Week two, we talk about sex being powerful. How we shouldn't use and leverage our sexuality against other people. Boys shouldn't use their words to try and, you know, get girls and just say the right thing and then it's going to work if I just, if I, I know if I can just, you know, get them to see that, that I like them or at least appear that I like them, this is all going to work out. And girls, you know, if I just dress a certain way or, or act a certain way or just flick my hair a certain way, I'll get a certain boy's attention because sex is powerful and you shouldn't use it that way. So week three, sex is not everything. And I think you, you might say, oh yeah, I know it's not everything. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna put it in the, the, the bottle, I'm gonna wait till we get married and then that'll, it'll be everything there. Listen, sex is not everything. It's not everything today. When you get married, it's not gonna be everything. I'm married, trust me, sex is not everything. God is everything. What is everything? God is everything. You think to yourself, well, how, how, how can I, how can I with, with what mindset do I walk out of this room and live my life? Well, if you are putting things before God, if you're saying there are things that are more important than God, if you're putting things, making things everything before God, I think that's something that you need to say no to. See, this is what it says in Galatians. This is one of my favorite books of the Bible. It says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live is the f in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, this is a really awesome truth if you believe it. If you believe that there is a guy named Jesus who gave his life for you, that when you live, it's no longer you just living, but Christ living in you, it changes the way you think about everything. It changes the way you value everything. It changes the way you put importance on everything. We can build sex up to be this thing that's, that's just such a big deal, and, it, and it's, I, you know, and when I'm older, when I'm married, I'll, and it's just such a big thing, but man, Jesus is saying to this very young church, this very young, fresh church, that my relationship to you, my desire to live in and through you and with you, to walk alongside you, that, guys, should be everything. Paul is saying to this young you know, church, and I like to think of this church as a group of junior hires sometimes, because they don't have every answer. Junior hires don't have every answer. But yet they come seeking these answers. I think junior hires are good at seeking answers. And he says to them, listen, young church, young church without every answer. Paul's saying, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I believe in a guy that did not have limits or boundaries when it came to his love for me. He broke every rule. I want you guys to be rule breakers too. Here's the thing. There's going to be different things in our life that we're thinking to ourselves and saying, man, this seems really important. This seems like everything to me. 
This seems like I've made this thing my everything. I put so much myself, and maybe it's become this barrier now between me and God. There's this thing that's taken place that between me and God, there's a line in the sand, and it's really difficult for me to get past it and get to God. Maybe it's sex for you. Maybe for you, it's jealousy or anger towards someone else. Maybe for you, you've just you've put so much of yourself into everything. And this, this last message isn't as much a lesson about sex as it is a lesson about Jesus. And that if you are putting something between you and Jesus, that thing, you have to say no to that. You have to leave that. You have to, you have to say goodbye to that and say hello to Jesus. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. We're going to put on some music. We're going to dim the lights just a little bit. And I want to give you guys a moment to respond to this. And this is how we're going to do it. And everyone's going to play because everyone has something. Listen, no one's perfect. I did one of these prayer things yesterday. I left it on the wall. Because I sometimes put things between me and Jesus. I sometimes make things my everything. And there are things that I need to write down and leave at the prayer wall and say, God, I need you to handle this. And I can't do it alone. I need to do it with you. So we have prayer stations set up. And we do this every week. And so soon this will be, this will be old hat. We'll, we'll be doing this every week and you're going to come to expect these prayer walls and these times to just confess to God and give it to him and not keep it to yourself, but give it to him. And I want to give you that opportunity now. If there's a thing that you feel is standing between you and Jesus, if there's a thing you're making everything in your life, I just want you to write it down. Maybe write down a little prayer. Write down what it's, confess what it is, not to me. Don't put your name on it. it Unless you need to. Unless you need someone to call and follow up with you. But if you just want to confess and just leave it at the prayer wall and just say goodbye to it and say hello to Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. So in a moment, I'm going to ask everyone, I'm going to pray, I'm going to ask everyone to stand, go to a table, and leave something at the prayer wall. Let me pray, and I'll get back and I'll dismiss you. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today, for the opportunity to learn a little bit about Jacob, a little bit about a group of people that made certain things everything. Uh, Lord, you're calling us to make you everything. Uh, you're the only one worthy of being everything to us. And there are things in our life that is easy to put before you. Lord, we want to confess those things and to get rid of them, and we want that opportunity now. So Lord, speak to us as we go. Show us what this thing is. It's something that's between you, God, and these students, let it be a time of true confession. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.